Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on May 3rd, 2021. This week, this is not the only place you can hear Aaron. Uh, Mr. Adams, you recently made an appearance on the Hyperion Hub podcast, right? Episode 47, if I'm not mistaken? That's what they tell me. Okay. Did you enjoy your time with John and the guys? Or? Yeah, no, they were, they were a lovely group, and uh, mm-hmm. we had a very, very nice chat, and... Mm-hmm. And uh, got to talk behind the scenes dirt a little bit. So if you ever want to know how sausage is made, we had an exhibition of that. I think you did, Len and I, proud. And it's more insight into your craft. So yeah, I I definitely recommend head on over and and check out uh, Hyperion Hub. Anyway, it's been a big, big news week, folks. Lots of stuff to cover on today's show. So we're going to get right to it. News portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. So, this morning, 9 a.m. East Coast time, the Phase 4 trailer for the MCU dropped. This trailer, there was a lot to unpack, don't you think? Yeah, the first half was all a walk down memory lane, so Mm -hmm. I wasn't as rabid about that. It was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's nice to look back, but I was there for that. Then they Mm -hmm. got into the new stuff, and I was excited just to see the Eternals in motion. Yes, yes. Even for just a second, yeah. Mm-hmm. And to you know, look around online and already people are just saying, we what? We got two pieces of dialogue. We got when you love something, you uh, you fight for it, and we're the ones who changed everything. And that's also- that second line where it's just like X Men. What X Men? Hello, anybody? <laughs> did, did they say X Men? Did I hear X Men? Uh, Squirrel. Well, Woof. <laughs> and the other thing again, and this is what I love about Marvel fans is. I guess there's there's one quick shot of them standing outside in front of an arch and someone was able to extrapolate from that image. It's like, ooh, that's the city of Babylon. They're really leaning into the thousands and thousands of years of history. What did you think of, with them using Stan's voice, you know, to sort of ground the piece? I think it's very appropriate because they had used Stan as a cameo in mm-hmm. every single movie up until his passing. Mm-hmm. And uh, even then, after his passing, made that wonderful opening title card sequence mm-hmm. for that final movie that, that he would be able to appear in with the cameo. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to look back, it only makes sense to use Stan the man. Uh, mm-hmm. Who is sadly passed, but I mean, it's, it's like you're you're honoring that legacy one last time because we know going forward we're not going to get any more of those quick glimpses and cameos and and funny little moments with them. So, yeah, put the bow on it, wrap it up, let it be at rest, at peace before we move on with exciting, shining new Phase Four. Having covered the Walt Disney Company for thirty five plus years at this point. Once I was listening to Stan there, it's like, oh, they're pulling the Walt number. Somebody clearly went back through as much Stan audio as they could find and, and came up with a wonderful piece of audio. It's, it's got a great message. And, you know, that man next to you, he's your brother, that sort of thing. But you're right. We've seen our last really for real Stan cameo. 
But on the other hand, I, I get the uneasy feeling. In, in, you know, the, the Walt Disney, we keep moving forward, and it was all started by a mouse tradition. We have just begun to see the mining of Stanley Audio and what the company will do with that to help with the fields, you know, so to speak. Because that's, that's what I got from, as you mentioned, the walk down memory lane. It's like, oh... Yeah. But I mean, we haven't gotten a, a hint of Stan from WandaVision or Falcon and the Winter Soldier or anything mm-hmm. like that. I mean, it's it's been since his passing a yep. purely st- Stan free MCU. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that they're going to be over utilizing their oh, ability no, no, to no, go no. to the archives. Um, but when there's an anniversary, you bet your ass Stan's going to be the first voice you hear yeah. after Kevin Feige. So yeah, that, that, this is true. This is true. OK, so we got the stuff we expected walking out the newly revised release dates for Black Widow, Shang-Chi and the Eternals. We knew when Doctor Strange was going to arrive in theaters March of next year. Likewise, Thor, Love and Thunder. And, oh, can you share your news? Yes. At SlashFilm.com, they had a little mini article that had basically stated that Thor, Love and Thunder is going to be using some of the same technology that was used in The Mandalorian when mm-hmm. they go into the volume. Is that yep. the technical name for there it now? The volume? Yep. All right. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Taika Waititi, since he was uh, not only an actor, but he was also a director in The Mandalorian, well, he knows how to juice that lemon. So mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense that he's going to want to use that shiny new toy mm-hmm. while making some of the more fantastical elements of Thor Love and Thunder. I think that's very interesting to to be able to know that it exists, how to use it from both ends of the camera, mm-hmm. and then to go uh, hog wild with your imagination. Yeah, I don't know. Again, I'm fascinated that that's now a tool in the box, so to speak. Mm -hmm. In other Thor Love and Thunder related news, did you see where we finally found out what character Russell Crowe is supposedly playing in this movie? Was he playing Zeus? Yes, yes. And, you know, again, what was interesting is that, you know, Marvel fans online were speculating that this would open the door for bringing in the Marvel version of Hercules. I, I, right. I, again, I know you, you've read a lot of the books over the years. What's your knowledge of, of Marvel's take on Zeus? I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Some that for, up, for your Red and Stimpy fans out there, that that was a great <laughs> Mr. Horse impression. No, no sir. I don't, don't like it. Not one bit. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> So here's the thing. It was, uh, and I should have the exact same problem with Thor, but it's different. Mm. Okay. I was introduced to Thor by the comic book version Mm -hmm. because I was reading comics at a really, really young age. And Mm -hmm. so Thor to me was a comic book character first. And then I was, I ended up realizing through history classes and, and mythology that it was a fictional God that was worshiped back in ye olden day. Mm-hmm. But Zeus, I learned about beforehand, I want to say, wouldn't that have been uh, Clash of the Titans era? Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, when I had a Zeus in mind, it was mm-hmm. with with uh, a mechanical owl helping guide the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that, that actually, that, that that's, if we're talking about the same movie, that the Ray Harryhausen thing. Yeah. That's Lawrence Olivier, and to be honest, that that is from his "How big is the check?" period. Sure, you know, sure, sort of yeah. Like, 
Yeah, sure. All but right, when I'll but when you're movie. four or five years of age at that point, you know you're mm-hmm. not you're not all that critical on how the acting is. It's, you know he could phone it in. I wouldn't have known the difference at that age. But when uh, finally when I did find out that Zeus was in the comics, I'm like, well, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's the exact same issue with Thor being a god and me being okay with that. So I mean, I sh- I should be okay with it. It's just that I learned about them in the wrong order. Therefore, mentally, I can't cope. Got it. Okay. All right, moving on here. We also have Black Panther 2, which we now have a title for, Wakanda Forever. I feel sad about that. And and why is that? It was the one thing that everybody did to Chadwick Boseman when they saw him walking down the street. Mm-hmm. They did the little arms across the chest salute and did the Wakanda Forever. Mm-hmm. And he did it back to, you know, be the, the courteous Marvel actor. Mm-hmm. But, but he kind of bugged it because it was like so very one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, he he wasn't going to complain o- openly in, in public about it. But then for that to be the name to honor his passing, mm-hmm. it was like, ah, <laughs> I was hoping that there would have been a different name that also would have paid a tribute to him and not something that he would have dis- uh, personally disliked when well, he wasn't playing the character. This makes me think, uh, in a weird way, Leonard Nimoy, who... Uh, I am not Spock. I am Spock. There we go. The very notion of that, you know, this is a guy who, if you talk with him in 69, 70, after Star Trek, you know, the original Star Trek series had been canceled, he, you know, he was trying to put that character in the rearview mirror, which, again, mm-hmm. you know, actually wrote the book, I Am Not Spock. But then over time, he began to see in a weird sort of way what the character meant to people mm-hmm. was one of these things where it became such a huge bargaining chip for him. I mean, you know, that's sure. how he he got to do things like direct Three Men and a Baby or for that matter, Star Trek Three and Star Trek Four. Mm-hmm. And the fact that very late in life, he circled back on the character for the J.J. The Abram film that, and clearly enjoyed doing it, that mm-hmm. you have to wonder if a, a, a you know, if a Chadwick Boseman, if we'd been lucky enough to have him with us for another couple of decades, whether he would have had sort of a Leonard Nimoy journey to the effect of, God, oh, this character and people keep coming at me with that salute. And Yeah, I, th- I think after Oscar uh, season had come and gone and, and had he been awarded something, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's nice to, as they say, nice just to be nominated. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's kind of a palate cleanser career wise where you go, hey, I'm being acknowledged for the thing that wasn't that. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the the Hollywood reps are going to be like, oh, yeah, you were nominated for an Oscar for this thing that isn't Black Panther. Mm-hmm. And he he would have been, you know, not just T'Challa anymore. Yeah. So and, and he's done a, a lot, a lot of work well oh, no, before no, no, Black Panther that is totally award worthy. It's mm-hmm. just that he wasn't on such a global radar and under such a massive microscope like he was post Black Panther. Speaking of which, you, you, you just brought up the Oscars and, of course, the whole Ma Rainey thing that blew up on live television. You know, to the mm-hmm. effect that they had actually structured that entire award show with the, the, the assumed, you know, they, they, they rolled the dice. And they assumed, well, you know, it's, it's posthumous and it's a gimme and they're definitely going to give him the award. And, 
then that didn't happen. So, I mean, I, I will say, which made for very weird television. Uh, <laughs> I will say this much, that, that Anthony Hopkins, it was rather lovely when he finally got to make a statement about the award. And it took time out to, to acknowledge Chadwick and how sad it was to lose him at such a young age. So, I would think that someone at the Academy should have learned a lesson about in weird times like COVID days. Mm-hmm. Peek at the envelope. Make certain you know what the hell you're doing before you plan an entire show around a maybe. Because I have learned so many times, maybe does not pan out when you're live on the air. It never. It's like the the catch-22, the Murphy's Law, when you're live on the air, maybe does not exist in this dojo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, again, you know, I, I think the accountants of Price Waterhouse <laughs> might have had an issue with that. But yeah, I mean, such special servants being what they were. While we're touching on Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, there's this whole issue now because of the change in the voting law in Georgia about folks who are being hesitant about going back to shoot in, in that state. And what's interesting mm. is Ryan Coogler in speaking with Deadline, actually talked about the fact that he's upset about, uh, I guess it's uh, State Bill 202, but at the same time, he's going back. Black Panther is going to shoot in Georgia. In fact, for those of you who monitor the, these sorts of things and want to you know, maybe see what they're up to when they're shooting, the working title of Black Panther 2, or excuse me, Wakanda Forever, is Summer Break. So if you're around the Atlanta area and you hear they're shooting Summer Break, no, that's really the Black Panther sequel. But he's made a personal commitment to go back to Georgia to try to raise awareness about this bill and hoping to change it from within because... From his point of view, they spent seven months in Georgia two years back, three years back on Black Panther, the original Black Panther. Mm. And what he noticed is that so many of the people who actually work in a movie like this, these small businessmen around Georgia, are people of color. And it just it's one of these things where it's like, you know, if I were fighting this Jim Crow bill, I'd be hurting the very people who, you know, make the money off of shooting movies in Georgia. So it's like, mm. I'm, you know, we're going to go, we're going to shoot there. But at the same time, we're going to try to educate people and see if we can turn this bill around. So more power to Ryan. Let's see. We're still working our way through the list here. So we have November of next year. What had previously been known as Captain Marvel 2 is now The Marvels. And what's your take on that title? I was very surprised that Marvel had the cojones to mm-hmm. n- just skip Captain Marvel subtitle, mm-hmm. The Marvels. Mm-hmm. I thought that was just incredibly either <laughs> naive of them or incredibly brave of them. I couldn't decide which mm-hmm. um, to just go with Marvels because the S on the end of Marvels is very much in the font of the Miss Marvel character. Mm-hmm. And also we got Monica Rambeau, who's mm-hmm. got her new Marvelous powers. Mm-hmm. And you've got Captain Marvel herself, who is presumably the headline star of the mm-hmm. show. So I'm thinking you've got three Marvels there teaming up and, and going for it. I just don't know if the general public is going to be hip to it yet. But we do have a Miss Marvel Disney Plus series that's going <laughs> to be do. coming along the way to educate we us do. all. So. Mm-hmm. Maybe on the backside of that, if it lights up like a firecracker, like everything else they've done thus far, 
then you know the general public will be very well aware of Ms. Marvel, and they'll be very excited for just Marvels without having to ask any more questions about who's where's Captain Marvel and who's this about and et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Continuing through the, the stuff they touched on, we uh, February of uh, 2023, we have Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. We have May 5th of 2023, we have our Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And then we end with a symbol, and uh, no date, but we end with the symbol for Fantastic Four. That's how you interpreted that, right? Or I believe that by putting that f- that four there in the circle at the end, mm-hmm. in how Phase One ended with Avengers One, oh. I think Phase Four is going to end with Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the team up that that will end, and then we'll get into Phase Five, which may lead to a new Avengers or a young Avengers. I mean, if mm-hmm. Wanda gets her kids back, we have a door a doorway open now for young Avengers. There's so many different ways that they could give us our next team up that's not straight Avengers. Mm-hmm. It's either West Coast, young, or new, or dark. And then mm-hmm. you've got uh, the, the fi- Fantastic Four. So I say they give us Fantastic Four to end mm-hmm. uh, Phase Four, because it's got that thematic four. Keep it all n- nice and neat. And then Phase Five, we get some new Avenger thing with Tom Holland leading the way along the way, because he ain't going nowhere. We'll get to that in a moment. But something else that I thought was significant was ending this with see with the movies and what a wonderful message that was to send out to the exhibitors around the country who are still kind of nursing their lumps given Disney's decision to send Black Widow out into theaters but also doing the Disney Plus thing you know the fact that here they were talking about the the 10 films that are featured in phase four of the the MCU and the fact that we'll see at the movies this is well you're gonna you know that that is the intention that they're implying Mm-hmm. But what if we were to just use Black Widow as the prime example of what Phase Four is going to look like? Are you really going to see it? See him at the theaters in that case? Hmm. Okay, okay. I mean, we are five weeks out from the next, you know, limited series debuting at Disney Plus Loki, and on the heels of this season finale. Of, of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which, by the way, we'll talk about in the second half of the show, folks, and keep the spoilers up there. But it just, you know, what was interesting to me is what didn't get mentioned. All these, these you know, all these projects are supposedly headed to the theaters, but there's no mention of Loki, uh, Marvel What If, you know, the, the Ms. Marvel limited series you were just talking about that helped set up the Marvels. Likewise, the Hawkeye, you know, so on and so forth. But the other thing I thought was fascinating that didn't get mentioned was Blade. Wasn't it 2018 they stood on stage at at San Diego Comic-Con and you know, introduce the gentleman who is going to be playing the title role? Yeah, but they've announced a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff. And they just don't have room for it all on the calendar. If you notice, like, our our old... Mm-hmm. MCU phases, we got a max of three MC movies a year, and now we're getting four or five movies in a year. They did include Spider-Man No Way Home, but we didn't get any mention of Venom, Let Them Be Carnage, or Morbius, or for that matter, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2, which for me is fascinating given the Sony deal that got announced just last week. And basically what Disney did uh, is they cut a deal with Sony Pictures, which will bring 
all of these Spider-Man movies that Sony is working on, you know, and this is everything they're doing from 2022 through 2026, plus some older library titles. But the idea is that first is the theatrical release, then there's the Blu-ray DVD, then Netflix will have the rights to these films uh, for 18 months. And once that 18-month period is over, these titles can then go and live on Disney+, Plus. Uh, can also be shown on ABC, Freeform, and Hulu. But when they finish their, their life, this now means that all of the Spider-Man movies, everything that the Marvel fans have wanted, all of the Spider-Man movies, plus all the new stuff, plus the, the, the Spider-Verse stuff, it's all going to be on Disney+. Plus. All of the Marvel in one place. I want to point out that it was Drew Taylor, kind of the gentleman I do fine-tuning with, who pointed out this virtually guarantees going forward that I guess there had been discussion about how No Way Home was possibly going to be Tom Holland's last Spider-Man film, and this deal kind of blows that right out of the water, especially now that they have this business relationship going forward with Disney+, Plus. that I would imagine the conversations to keep Tom on staff, on, on salary, is going to continue to go forward from there. Word of warning to Tom is once they start switching out the blue and black ink pens for little pricks on the finger and signing in blood, dude, don't, <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. They've got something hinky. You don't know how, about how it's going to work. Have you ever seen the monkey paw? It's very similar to the monkey paw. You make a wish. It comes true. But there's something kind of hinky that uh, makes it all go sideways. And, and then, uh, yeah, you've got to give the monkey paw to someone else. All right. Follow that advice. Um, <laughs> in, in, in other news, sadly, uh, this past weekend, we lost a legendary comic book draftsman, uh, John Paul Leon. He passed away this past Sunday, May 2nd, at the age of 49, uh, due to cancer. And this is a guy who started his career at Dark Horse, working on their, their RoboCop comic series, but eventually en ended up over at Marvel working with Alex, Alex Ross on the Earth-X series and also partnered with Peter Milligan on Marvel's Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix and then went on uh, to head over to D.C. and did a stint there. Uh, in fact, just recently was working on their Batman Creature of the Night series. And I'm sorry, 49 is just too young an age to lose anyone, let alone a huge talent bank like John. And our heartfelt condolences go out to the Leon family. Happier news, Jeremy Renner just revealed that the Hawkeye Limited series for Disney Plus has just wrapped production. And as that was completing, they began gearing up production of the She-Hulk series, which, by the way, also will be shot in Atlanta. We were talking about Black Panther 2 and Martin Freeman, uh, who will be coming back uh, to play his Everett K. Ross character, the CIA operative. He was talking about what it was like that everybody had signed on to come back and then what happened when we lost Chadwick and he talked about if my memory serves correctly the script had gone in they had the script and they're working on the script and then Chadwick died and he immediately thought how do you do a Black Panther without Black Panther I still don't know what that looks like so obviously when Chadwick died the idea of doing it without him would have seemed like a stupid idea it would have been crazy so he, he said, I'm as curious as you are 
about how this is going to look. And I, I, I will find out quite soon. But beyond that, all I know is that I'm in it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it'll turn out that T'Challa went to Hawaii on va- a four-week vacation and he forgot his cell phone, uh, but he left his suit. Here, why don't you put it on and try and see if you can be hero. Find the hero within you. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm actually kind of... Wor- that's the one that I'm worried about the most mm-hmm. is how twisted like a pretzel convoluted is this going to get to explain away the the lack of Chadwick Boseman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the easiest way is just the straightforward path. It's speaking of casting, uh, we have some additional news in regard to the Secret Invasion limited series with uh, Samuel Jackson. They have just hired Emilia Clarke, who, of course, Game of Thrones fans will know, the, the, the Dragon Queen, right? Uh, Mother of Dragons. Mother of Dragons. There we, there go. we go. I just find it fascinating... You know, the, the level of talent that has begun to step up for not only the movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but also the limited series. The number of folks that's like, ooh, I want to play in that sandbox. And speaking of the Marvel limited series, just weekend past, episode six of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And Aaron and I will be going into the final episode and where the show potentially goes from here right after this break. We're talking Marvel television. I am really looking forward to the Modoc series on Hulu that's going to be dropping later this month. They just released an amazing two-minute-long clip that the folks at Stupid Buddies. It, it was the only way to describe this is it's a mad scientist battle, and this is wonderful moment in this fight where the female mad scientist that Modoc is fighting with actually kills him for a second, but then realizes, oh no, I'm not going to let you get away that easily. And, you know, whips out one of their inventions and brings Modoc back to life. And as Modoc comes back to life, it's like, wow, all of the religions are wrong. That's a, that's a funny piece of writing right there. But, you know, also, you know, potentially going to get them in trouble. But I want to see this version of Modoc, especially voiced by Patton Oswald. Turned up in the Disney parks, he, he, he's kind of a defeated, you know, having trouble at home, having trouble at work kind of a guy. And it's a funny take on it. And more to the point, Disney's already done this. They've already done a Patton Oswald character in the parks. Uh, did you ever see that footage of the, the little animatronic Remy that they used to roll around the tables at the Chefs de France at Epcot? No. They would roll that serving table up to the table, you know, and they have the great silver cover, and they'd lift it off, and there was a six-inch tall animatronic rat that would sing and dance and gesture to you. And it was part of the offerings at this restaurant as far back as April of 2009. And Disney is continuing with this living character initiative program. And In fact, did, did you see the footage earlier this week for... For Project Kiwi, the, the free walking Groot. That I did see, and that was very impressive. Yeah. Now, have we seen that version of Groot before, the, the toddler-sized? or? Well, I mean, we had Groot, and then we had baby Groot, and then we had uh, adolescent Groot, who was like teenage. Yes, so I, teen Groot, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. so... They may have skipped that version in the movies. However, mm-hmm. if you're not necessarily being linear, 
uh, you could have a different size Groot for a different period in time and have guests be perfectly okay with that because they've seen the the lifespan change of your average Groot being. Okay, now I want to stress here that the footage, Imagineering's been very upfront about the fact that, okay, this is a prototype and they've been working on it for three years and he's not necessarily going to be in the park anytime soon. And in fact, you know, they pointed out that there was a previous meet and greet Groot. They did that Star-Lord and Baby a Groot meet and greet at the uh, Disney Hollywood Studios back in May of 2017. And they discontinued it after uh, September of 2018. Children can be very, very unpredictable with things like that. Like uh, happens a lot with R2 units that for the builders <laughs> is kids will come racing to hug mm. an R2 and they will not slow down until after they've collided fully oh. with the R2 and put a dent in it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of servos that open doors and whatnot. And if they hit a certain part the wrong way, they've broken something internally without ever realizing it. And so uh, that's why usually when we take things out for Mm -hmm. display, we put a big rope around them and Mm -hmm. say, don't even think about touching it, kid. (laughs) So I can imagine a very, very expensive Groot robot that can walk and talk. A kid's Mm -hmm. just going to run up there and pick it up and twirl it around, and it's going to yank out the cord. It's going to die in their very arms. And then there's going to be some explaining to do. Well, well, conversely, though, that I remember when they did – the Wally robot for the parks. And it was one mm. of these things where it was actually kind of in the, the opposite direction to the effect of, you know, they very, very much wanted to do meet and greets with this character and have kids pose next to the Pixar's lovable robot. But the problem was it weighed 400 pounds. And right. that if the person who was controlling hit the wrong control and rolled it over a child's foot, it yeah. would crush it. And it was, right. you know, uh, in fact, I, I've also been hearing that this is one of the concerns about the stunt tronic, the, the Spider-Man, that they're supposedly going to be firing at regular intervals over the buildings at the Anaheim Avengers campus. And evidently Disney legal has sort of read them the riot act to the effect of you want this to spontaneously happen. Well, that's not going to happen. Whenever the area he's flying over, you're going to have to have cast members cleared out. As if a train were coming through and put down a barricade on each side of the road so they could create a clear path for... Yeah, and for the Imagineers, this this kind of defeats the purpose of what they wanted to do. They wanted you to be in the Avengers campus and just see, you know, just on the corner I've I've got the answer for you, engineers. You can start writing the check. Get your Mm -hmm. pens. Take out the checkbook, get ready. Mm-hmm. Here's your million dollar idea. Uh, so if you've got like a city backdrop, mm-hmm. as as you do, and you're not just flinging Spider-Man willy-nilly anywhere in the park, mm-hmm. you create a small tunnel. And the tunnel that you're creating is uh, posed to look like a bridge like between Manhattan and, say, you know, one of the other boroughs. Mm-hmm. And the bridge is actually a net that catches a malfunctioning Spider-Man. But underneath, it looks like a bridge that you're walking through from above. It's a, a net that catches Spider-Man. Voila, the people can keep moving. You never have to stop them. Fling Spidey all you want. Interesting. Okay. By the way, again, we, we were talking about the Anaheim version of the Avengers Campus, which is still on track to open June 4th of this year. Imaginary Lee Morgan Richardson 
just posted something interesting on on Twitter. Uh, he was part of the team that you have to remember that you know they had done the changeover of the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror for uh, California Adventure and changed it into the Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout ride. And you have Tantalier Tivan's traveling collection. And the fact that you have this giant fortress that traveled through space and landed at DCA. And, it, and initially, I guess there was just some discussion of between the, the, the rockets that powered this thing and the, the weight of the building. What the Avengers had originally wanted to do was have the ground around the Tavon collection disrupted, you know, have the tarmac cracked or, or, or bubbled mm-hmm. up or that sort of thing. There's one thing about authenticity. There's another thing about the fact that you have folks in wheelchairs or people in ECVs. And if you just do disrupted ground, that makes it difficult for those folks to get to the travel around the park. Grandma's stuck in a rut. No, literally. Come on. She's stuck in a rut. Help her out. Lift. Lift <laughs> grandma. <laughs> but they came up with a, a kind of an elegant fix for this. And, you know, the fact that they wanted to show that when this this giant piece of you know alien technology had you know settled down in, in Anaheim, it did have an impact on on the ground. And what they decided to do is that Jack Kirby had this thing he would do whenever a character did something extraordinary. And it just are you familiar with the Kirby crackle? Is that just drawing some lines around it? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so what they did, they took the the pavement around the building. And have done this multicolored treatment that replicates the Kirby crackle. So, you know, as you're walking up and, you know, your eyes drawn to the ground and it's like, okay, I'm entering a kind of a weird space. Kirby was a, a personal hero of Richardson. And he just talked about, I, I was lucky to be part of the team that did this project and it folded into my love of the comics. And so to be able to add this splash of color to the land meant so much to him. He also put it out, and there's not a single intentional hidden Mickey in this whole thing. So that means that there could be a unintentional hidden Mickey? I do not know what that means. So mm. now you have this attraction, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, that was already in place when they began the construction of the Anaheim version of, of the Adventures Campus. You know, it always becomes this weird dance of trying to make it look like the Avengers campus has always been here and that there's a natural flow from, say, Guardians of the Galaxy mission breakout into Avengers. And so the one of the ways they're doing this is they, they're they putting in a Tantalier Tivon, uh, the collector's food cart. What's kind of interesting there is they're going to serve, for lack of a better term, flattened churros basically large cookies, but they're all in the colors of the Infinity Stone. You know, a good joke for the uh, collector's food cart. Which it would be? You walk up and say, give me one of everything. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Yes, that's... I want to hear from the first person who does that. That, That's that's a fun bit. The the folks in the, the Disney Flavor Lab... Because, again, this is supposed to be serving snacks from another world. So they're, they're doing things like everything looks like something than other than it is. Like, for example, they're serving the Cosmic Cream Orb, 
which is actually a cream puff, but when you bite into it, it's a rich purple, and inside is a whipped raspberry cheesecake mousse. But bearing the needle in the exact opposite direction, once you actually walk into the Avengers campus, now mind you, supposedly this won't be ready for opening day, but shortly thereafter, the Shwarma Palace will be open. Just like at the end of the original Avengers back in 2012, if you're weary from your day of wandering around Disneyland and California Adventure and just go someplace and eat, eat something quietly, they, they're going. The idea is that the Avengers so enjoyed the Schwarma place that they discovered in New York, they persuaded this guy to open a second store on the West Coast. There's going to be a chicken Schwarma wrap called New York's Tastiest, and then they're going to have what's known as the Impossible Victory Falafel. The one place I know you're going to be excited about, Aaron, when we get you out there, is the Pim Test Kitchen, where the entire gimmick of this restaurant is they've set up the uh, Hank Pim's Quantum Tunnel, only they're running items of food through it. So they're going to serve, for example, a pretzel that basically feeds six. This is effectively stunt food. One of the things they sell there is going to be the not-so-little chicken sandwich. And the gimmick of this is it's a normal-sized bun, but it's a chicken filet that's nearly a foot in size. For my friends in, in mid-Michigan, this is Tony's and Birch Run, where you order bacon, and it's a literal pound of bacon that shows up go. at the table. And uh, you, there, you look at them going, are you joking? There's no way that any human can eat a pound of bacon. And they go, well, you ordered it, now you deal with it. Yeah. And then they walk away. So, yeah, yeah. Make sure that you bring everybody that you know. Well, no, that's it exactly. You know, that, that, that for example, they're going to be doing a, uh, you know, I can a, imagine, you know, if, with a pretzel that big, instead mm -hmm. of salting it, they should just give everybody a salt lick. <laughs> <laughs> and you take a big old bite of pretzel mm -hmm. and then you lick the salt lick. And that's because that's how it would look size wise, I think, for a giant pretzel. But again, I just want to caution people front. This is food is theater. I mean, for example, the pasta dish at this place is going to be served uh, in a giant spoon. I mean, they literally will carry to your table uh, this spoon with a, a mix of large and small pieces of pasta and, and this huge, you know, meatball sitting in the middle of it. Two dogs died trying to recreate a cute animated <laughs> scene from a classic Disney movie from overeating. It's very tragic. It's... One noodle did them both in. They went at it from both ends, kissed in the middle, and then immediately exploded. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, that's, again, I, I, I want to see that. I, I genuinely want to see somebody do that. I will say this much. There is one thing at this restaurant that I, I at least want to get the cup to take home. Do you remember Pingo Doce Soda from the Incredible Hulk movie, the, the 2008? With oh, a, yeah, yeah, that Stan's blood droplet, or no, uh, it was Bruce's blood droplet that got into the soda that Stan drank that alerted everybody to where the Hulk was hiding out at. There we go. All okay. right, they, they're actually, they have invented a Pingo Doce Soda. That, and mind you, it's, it's supposed to taste kind of spritey, with a hint of Hulk blood. <laughs> well, there you go. Just, just a, a dollop. But no, that that for me, why this is going to be you know worth seeking out is that if you order the the Pinky Doce soda, that they're going to sell an oversized soda can 
that you can take home as a souvenir. Is it going to be hard to travel with on a plane like the Coke cans were from Batu again that looked like the, well, they, it was because they looked like fake grenades, fictional yeah. grenades. But it was also because it was carbonated under pressure and in flight with the altitude change, they had to be opened and poured out so then they could be taken on the plane. So I'm same thing here, probably. Don't know. The, the way this has been described is this is a souvenir cup that, that looks like a soda can. But again, it's an oversized thing, so I, I guess Yeah, now it's going to be super easy to travel with on a plane, I'm sure. Just cramming it into the overhead. So the question I have is, are they going oversized on everything? Because a, a giant pretzel and a bunch of salt licks is pretty stupid to order, period. I don't see it selling a lot. But what if they went in the other direction and they did like super mini things where, you know, like how you do mini slider hamburgers? What if you went one step smaller than that and you called them ultra sliders? And there were like four little mini mini burgers make up one mini slider size burger. And that way you can actually have food to eat that's proper lunch. I think we need to be prepared, particularly with the Pim Test Kitchen restaurant, that there is definitely going to be a shakedown cruise. There's, there's going to be foods that are offered in the first three months or so that will fall off the menu because of the, the thing you're, you're describing. And with the name like Test Kitchen, it's okay to randomly change the menu because huh, we're just flinging to a wall and seeing what sticks. Two things I, I do want to bring up that just seem fun to me. Like, for example, when you go in and sit down at the bar, the bar snacks will be served to you in Petri dishes. The other thing, do you remember from Thor Ragnarok, the scene where Thor actually goes and meets with Stephen Strange? And, sure. you know, that the great moment where he served him a beer mm -hmm. and Thor drains it and then the cup magically refills. Evidently, for the PIM uh, test kitchen, they've set up the bar in such a way that it's called a reverse draft system. Oh, these are so cool where you set the cup down and it fills from the bottom. There we go. Yeah, All right. So, so that's the thing. You, you get to have your Thor Ragnarok moment. You get to watch the cup magically fill from the bottom. So I talked with folks who went to the media event when, when Disney was trotting out these foods to the press. And for example, there were people who just got angry at the not-so-little-chicken sandwich. It was like, well, how am I supposed to eat that? And it's like, well, no, it's supposed to be fun. You're supposed to break out your, you know, this is supposed to arrive at the table, and there's supposed to be you and three or four friends, and you're supposed and to And a lot out. of confusion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it just... I, I think that's a thing. I, I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff. And again, you're right. The, the test kitchen name in a lot of ways is going to help them because I think first six months or so, we're going to see a lot of, you know, a lot of changes here, a lot of food being introduced. And then Disney realized that, you know, that, that this is being wasteful or people don't know what to do with it. And the menu, menu will get changed at that point. But like I said, that's opening June 4th of this year, and in the weeks ahead, Aaron and I will talk further about some of the other stuff you know, that's coming up for the Anaheim version of the Avengers Campus. But before we do that, Aaron and I are about to talk in depth about the sixth episode of what looks to be the first season of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or I, I guess what was the title card said at the end of the, the episode, now, now it's Captain America and the Winter Soldier? It's the exact same as the movie that started it all. Hollywood Reporter had an interview just this past week where they were talking with the showrunner. And he said, you know, we did have a different title card 
for the end of the show for a while. And it was supposed to read Captain America and the White Wolf to sort of put, you know, the notion that, you know, Bucky's worked through his issues as the Winter Soldier and he's embraced the, the name that he was given, you know, when he was in Wakanda. Mm-hmm. And so going forward that the series would be known as Captain America and the White Wolf. And evidently the folks at Marvel Studios felt that that was maybe a step too far, that it would confuse people at the tail end of the show, that they wouldn't necessarily remember, what was it, episode four or five? Mm. You know, he gets addressed as White Wolf or or he talks with Sam about, you know, no, it's White Wolf. But beyond that, what did you think of episode six? For the whole series overall, I thought it was just fantastic. I think mm-hmm. everything was great. Uh, congratulations to Hoodlum's mom for <laughs> sussing out who the real power broker was from the get-go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, three more Marvelous Disney Cool Points awarded to her for that. (laughs) Once again, they have no actual value. They're just for bragging rights. Mm -hmm. Spend them wisely. But, yeah, beyond that, the the show was great. I I love how they wrapped everything up. I love that, you know, oh, I do want to point something out that I don't know if a lot of people will notice, but they were Mm -hmm. talking with, uh, I believe it was a costume designer. Mm -hmm. And if you will notice throughout the entire series that... The new Captain America, as he's known throughout that moment, mm-hmm. his costume has no white, which is the color of purity. That's the thing that he is lacking versus Cap. Interesting. And oh. then when he gets his U.S. agent moniker at the end, mm-hmm. he's got white back in his costume again. So he's that's his character evolution is... Hopefully he's learned something from this journey that he's been on. You bring up an interesting point. And again, we've talked on our previous show about, you know, Russell White's performance as John Walker. And did his redemption feel rushed to you? I mean, yes, he did the right thing in the heat of battle, which obviously he hadn't done in a a previous part of this limited series. Did it feel earned to you or... I would rather believe that he is in a morally gray area. And if you want to put it in Dungeons and Dragons terms, he Mm -hmm. is not strictly lawfully good or lawfully evil. He's more of a chaotic good, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which can swing depending on the mood, right? Mm -hmm. He's aiming for good, but sometimes chaotic happens and he ends up doing the bad thing and uh, rolls the die and hits hard. And it's like, damn it. Why did you have to do that? He's like, hey, I'm chaotic good, man. That's how I roll. I I like that there's a a complexity to a character. He's not just a bad guy written to be the bad guy. He's a character who believes throughout the story that he's doing the right steps to get the job that he's been tasked to do done. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he goes too far, but he still believes he's doing the right thing. And we've said in the last show as we were looking at it, it was... Cap went through some very similar emotions throughout his cinematic career and, and he was did. he was cast as a villain, as a criminal, and he was on the run. That's where, you know, where we get the, the civil war where we had to choose a side. Are you with the lawful guys or the, the bad guys? And Cap was the bad guy at that moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, we still rooted for him, just like he was a hero. So I think that this character was really great at playing the complexity offered with this character 
mm-hmm. to make him so so hateable, but so understandable. And then to come out at the end, is it, is it really earned? It's like he was he was always aiming to do the right thing. He just messed up along the way. So, yeah, I think that it does fit. It's not like out of left field and that he's going to go completely crazy, maniacal, you know, maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh, mm-hmm. you know, from, from the old Muppets gag. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so, no, I, I think it was just perfectly in line with what the character was trying to do, and now he feels that he's on the right side. And, again, to mention that Hawkeye, once upon a time in the comics, was head of the West Coast Avengers, who had people like U.S. Agent and Scarlet Witch and White Vision, and uh, there were a couple other characters that, that we're going to encounter along the way. So I do believe that we'll have a prime cast of mm-hmm. West Coast Avengers available to us if they want to go that route. But then again, with what they could be doing with Spider-Man villains, we could have a Dark Avengers. There's so many different things that, that could happen with all the things on offer to us right now. Speaking of which, uh, remember on the last show we were talking about how a lot of folks thought it was significant that as Marvel was setting things up for Emmy consideration, they positioned WandaVision as a limited series, whereas they put Falcon and the Winter Soldier in for nominations for drama series. I think we discussed on that show that, you know, the fact that Kevin Feige was saying that, you know, some of the series we're doing at Marvel Studios will continue. They, they aren't just limited. We'll, you know, may get a second season or a third season. So, you know, a lot of people were reading into, okay, cool. That means, you know, because they're being nominated as a drama, that means Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or again, as the title card said, Captain America, and that the Winter Soldier will be They should have back. changed it to, they should have changed it to Falcon's sister in the Winter Soldier at the end. <laughs> That would have left for oh, season two. What we got now here? The odd couple? Brother-in-laws? Is that what's going on? Well, it, 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 to further confuse the issue, just last week, we got news from Marvel Studio that there is a Captain America 4 in development. And not only that, but the showrunner for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Malcolm Spellman, is supposedly working on this film. And in fact, in the trades, they talked about this feature film will pick up where Falcon and the Winter Soldier left off. And it's just sort of like, okay, so what does that mean? I guess uh, to sort of circle back to what you were saying about the Marvels and the fact that we have our Ms. Marvel series that we where we get introduced to you know that character and then she steps into the Marvels along with Brie Larson's you know, Captain Marvel and Tiana Paris's uh, Monica Rabot, but don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining, especially after today where we got, you know, 10 new Marvel Cinematic Universe films teased and, and not a one of them is Captain America, so I guess this has to be phase five? Yeah, I mean, it's so far down the road. I mean, like I said, their schedule is booked. They don't have any need or reason to go and do any more than what they've already got scheduled. So it's got to be put at the end of the list. And there's so many other things on the agenda that are also, oh boy, wouldn't it be great if we could do this? I did read an article from io9 Mm -hmm. that I thought was rather interesting perspective on the beginning and ending of Mm -hmm. this. Okay. That really, our characters are not in very much different position than when we started. By that, they meant that Sam was given the shield, Mm -hmm. and in episode one, he gives it away, Mm -hmm. but by the end of the episode, he has reclaimed it. So Mm -hmm. that status of shield ownership and possession has not changed at all. 
also like you know Bucky himself he's still the same character with the same mechanical arm even though he's apologized to some people mm -hmm. we're not going to think of him as any more cuddly like a kitten he's mm -hmm. still going to be used as a wrecking machine in the MCU right yeah so his character hasn't really changed drastically from where we left off either and the the point of the article was if you're a, a more casual member of the MCU viewership mm -hmm. and you've only seen the films you can technically skip the falcon and the winter soldier and watch captain america 4 and not be all that out of the loop per se because the characters haven't really evolved quite as much as we would like to believe i thought they had a wonderful arc for each of the characters throughout the story but their end point is very 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 similar to their beginning point that's that's an excellent observation. Though, that said, the fact that if you think about it, in our first episode, we got Sam and the gentleman who plays War Machine, uh, you know, touring the gallery space of the, the Captain American exhibit. And if you mm -hmm. think about how this show ended, where we saw the Isaiah Bradley character. That was beautiful, yeah. Yeah, the, the, I, I love that beat. I love the fact that, you know, the, we, you know we came back to where effectively our story started, only this time Sam, given his position now, was able to do something to honor Isaiah's legacy, you know, to, to get it out in the spotlight where it had been, you know, due for decades. So Now, with that being said, Sam gave a, an emotional speech about doing the right thing to the... The, the machine, so to speak, you yeah. know, the, the guys that run things back in Washington. Mm -hmm. And he told them, you know, well, there's how things are and there's how the way that things should be. And it takes, you know, courage to, to mm -hmm. make those changes, etc. cetera. Uh, lovely speech. I doubt that in any real world, that speech would have changed one iota of how those gears turn in that world. Mm-hmm. It's like you get back to work and you go, hey, I heard an inspiring speech, boss. And they're like, I don't care. Get back to the salt mine. Do it the way, you know, that, that we've always done it. I don't care what the speech was. That's not how we do things. Hmm. And so it's like, yeah, it was, it was a nice moment, but I, I don't think it's going to change the world in, in our MCU, that, that speech at all. And I wonder if they'll continue addressing how it would be for a black person to take on the mantle of Captain America. And I also saw an interview with Anthony Mackie where he was ready for that discussion. And then it never came. And he goes, you know, the re thing I realize is as much as we're politicized in this world and, you know, it's us versus them, Republican versus Democrat, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, mostly there's good people in the world that aren't going to hate you because you're a black man carrying the Captain America shield. That's almost, you know, surprisingly refreshing because he was ready for everyone to kind of come at him with like a how dare you. Mm -hmm. And it didn't happen. Yeah, again, I genuinely enjoy this one. And in fact, I, I want to point out, in fact, since we wrap up here tonight, I'm going to head over to Disney Plus, uh, you know, because remember, they did a wonderful after show special for WandaVision called Assembled, the making of WandaVision. And it turns out they've done the exact same thing for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So yep. uh, Aaron and I will both go eyeball that and we'll chat about that on our, our, our next show. But in the meantime, remember, folks, we're only five and six weeks out from the launch of Loki. That's June 11th on uh, Disney Plus. And what was kind of interesting about the way the planets line up, if, you, if you're a fan of My Favorite Murder, 
just this week, I, I want to say it was Georgia who did the story of D.B. Cooper. And based on the ads or, or thereabouts, D.B. Cooper is going to play a role somehow in, in Loki. And it just, if you need the, the ins and outs of, of that story, head on over to catch this week's uh, My Favorite Murder. And if you're not listening to that, you can listen to the podcast that, that we have here. We've got, of course, Disney Dish with Lentesta. Likewise, we've talked a bit on the show about fine-tuning, the, the podcast I do with Drew Taylor about animation news. Also, uh, I've got a great show, Universal Strength, that I do with Dustin Fuse. In fact, we're going to be doing a new show this week, given the, the Velocicoaster is is up and running, and you know they, they've had team members and annual pass holders on this I new... heard while you stand in line for the Velocicoaster, one sneaks up and attacks you from the side. Is that true? <laughs> Is that how they get you on board? Is they just sneak up and boot you well, on one from the side? Worry. That's how they keep the crowd down to a manageable size. What was the line from the original Jurassic Park film? Oh, clever girl. Yep. <laughs> you yep. Know, just, you know, yes, takes down every third guess. Mm-hmm. Um, tell you what, folks. If you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts, and rate and review Marvelous Disney. If you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill Media and uh, also over on Facebook. Again, that's Jim Hill Media News. And Anna and I will be back soon.